how's your week been? Boring, for the most part. Aww. My wife is uh, out of town at a conference. It's not a Mormon conference, is it, Jones? No, fuck that shit. No, she, it's a professional. <laughs> I think I'm on. Hold on. Hey, hey wow. Yeah, she's got her echo going. Sorry, because I keep moving my office. Oh, Gigi, that doesn't surprise me at all. I bet you move things around approximately every 1.8 weeks. I think that's just your personality. That's <laughs> echoing. It sounds like some sci-fi bullshit. That's too much information for your artistic brain, isn't it, Jones? Nope, the echo's gone. So I can refocus my brain. Are you okay, Jones? Is there anything we can do to help you? I'm fine. I'm almost there. That's all right. Hey, shit happens. <laughs> Life's a bitch and then you die. You know, it's funny. Before I had ever had any intention of getting married, I used to say, Life's a bitch. Then you marry one, have two just like her, and watch as they suck you dry of every single cent you own, and then you die. But then I met my wife, and so I cut that part out because I love my wife and she's wonderful <laughs> and I love my kids and I have three of them. Yeah, I think you got a real winner with her. By the way, in case anyone's wondering, she donated her lovely voice to our silly little ad that we did on the previous episode. I was wondering who did that. That was great, by the way. I almost want to whip out my Ouija board. I have one that I haven't used. It's just for display purposes up in my living room as a joke. How many times has like Helen Keller been baptized? Or Elvis? Or Hitler. That's a high-priced soul to save, I guess. What does it say about the Mormons that they don't want him to go to hell? Well, the Mormons supported Nazism back before World War II actually kicked off. There was a lot of Americans that did until it got kind of hairy there for a while. <laughs> it's true. I mean, hell, even in England, the guy who was king, but he abdicated because he fell in love with the divorced American. Yeah, he was a Nazi sympathizer. My uh, buddy up at uh, USU Eastern runs us the theater department there, and they're actually just finished up a play about a young resistance fighter World War II in Germany, who was Mormon. I don't know if he fought, but he printed like pamphlets and stuff like that. And the church excommunicated him and turned him in, and then the Nazis executed him. Now, to be fair, it wasn't like the Mormon first presidency turned him in. It was a local branch president that did the excommunication without talking to Salt Lake City, which you're theoretically supposed to do. And they, you know, reinstated his ass posthumously. And that makes up for it, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. There's a, actually a famous picture of a Heber J. Grant up on a stage when they were visiting in Germany pre-World War II and they're sitting on stage with a big old fucking swastika right behind them. Jeez. You know, the church is on the wrong side of history so often it's not surprising. <laughs> no, it's not particularly surprising. TikTok is a huge ex-Mormon propaganda machine because there's a lot of ex-Mormons out there that like doing videos of mm -hmm. themselves and they're all on this social media and there's quite a few that I've been finding for ex-Black Mormons. And... Ooh. Uh, yeah, have you heard the thing? Well, they're not Exmo. They're black students at BYU. They're called the Black Menaces. And the president of BYU is instituting a rule. They can't videotape anymore on the campus. Well, they're going to get excommunicated, every single one of them. I wouldn't be surprised. These folks, I have nothing but compassion for. I'm not even going to use the term African-Americans when we refer to what Brad Wilcox is talking about, because it's any person with brown skin. And remember, the Mormons sent their mission 
missionaries down to South America and Brazil and Australia. They love Samoa. And they ran into a big problem when all of these Black brethren started wondering, like, why aren't we getting the priesthood back in the 70s? You know, so that's like one of the biggest instances where they were on the wrong side of history. The impetus, as I understand it, and of course the church is never going to admit to this, but they were building a temple down in Brazil in the 70s. And the policy was, and this is a quote, I'm not being a dick, not one drop of Negro blood is how they put it. If you had ancestor of African descent, you could not enter the temple. You could not have the priesthood. Well, the problem down in Brazil is that there was so much former slave population that lived there that you just couldn't tell. Brazil is a huge melting pot of different ethnic backgrounds that there was just no way to tell. And so all these people, they were, you know, bilking them of all their money to build the temple. And then they could not tell who they could let into the temple and who they couldn't let in temples. So that was one of the big impetuses. The other one was colleges were refusing to play BYU because the ban on black people being able to go in to the temple or to have the priesthood. There is a rumor that kicks around a lot about the tax-exempt status of the church was being threatened. I think there had been like rumblings about it. There's not really any evidence that that really went anywhere. One of the things that I saw on this TikTok video with this guy, he was like one of the first Jamaican families that had converted. He had a lot of pressure on him to like really be the outstanding perfect Mormon. And he went on to a mission in San Antonio and he got into one of the libraries, Mormon libraries, and he checked out a book. I think it was like, oh, Jones, I hope I remember the name of this book. It was like On the Negro in the Church or something like that. Oh, yeah. No. Oh, yeah. That one. It went on to say how, you know, don't worry, Black people, like you will be reborn white in heaven if you're a good Mormon, <laughs> because obviously that is somehow like so far superior. Or you can easily get into the celestial kingdom if you spend your whole life as a good servant. And you can then go to the celestial kingdom and be a good servant. Like you'll be a servant. It breaks my heart because Brad Wilcox and these folks, they really dismiss the racism as, oh, this is like a artifact of the church that we may not completely understand. Rather than like a policy of discrimination that teaches children that their skin is not as white and delightsome and that they have to go through all these soups in order to get into heaven and maybe they'll become white. So that's the church's official stance. They're going to become white in heaven. It was at a certain point. At least those were the books they were putting out. That book you're talking about was called Mormonism and the Negro by John J. Stewart. It was printed in 1960. Every Mormon church has a library inside of it. And they have all kinds of different texts that are written by different Mormon members and also the, the people that are actually up in the like quorum and things. Yeah, the general authorities. They let you check these out. Now, obviously, since that is an un popular opinion now. You know, sure, you're not going to find these in those libraries now. You know, they have taken them out at this point. They've scrubbed it clean. Well, they've done a shit job of it because they still quote those prophets in the lesson manuals. And they never come out and fully repudiate those positions because they don't want to focus on it. It's a very Mormon attitude that if you talk about it, people are going to think about it. That's the same thing about talking about sex. And then they'd also have to admit that their prophets are not infallible. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's a yeah. whole messy thing they have to get into once they start admitting that they're wrong. Patience, did you get a chance to listen to the whole Brad Wilcox thing? Oh, yeah, yeah. I listened to it a while ago. I'm going to go through his whole gospel talk. Oh, yeah, where he spells everything out? Chime in where he was being a Should I get started? 
Of course. I put food out for the husband so he can just self-sustain himself. Oh, the husband's fed. Tell that guy to fucking feed himself. He's capable. He's got two hands. Twice a month, this man comes home and hands me all of his money. I mean, we've been married for 25 years. And, and I stopped working as an attorney a few years ago to like take some, like a sabbatical. I told him I needed to find myself after putting him through medical school. And I was going to take some time off. So now the deal is, is he just gives me all of his money and I make him lunch and dinner. <laughs> and you get to make art and stuff. And then take care of all the household expenses and do the bills and all the other things that you'd expect. But it's like a nice, I can't complain. It's a good gig. Well, I don't know how long it's going to last. Like he's going to boot me back to work soon. I guess the question is, Gigi, are you enjoying your sabbatical? As long as you're enjoying it. I absolutely am because I think I hated being an attorney. I know you hated being an attorney. It was literally hell for me. See, I worked for the dark side. I worked for a large giant insurance company. Oh God, that does suck. My job was to run around and tell people, oh, you're not so injured. Oh, I'm sorry that my client chopped off your arm, but how much is an arm? worth nowadays anyways we only have a million dollar policy (laughs) it was grim sometimes you should do pro bono work now then when i was in law school i did work for the innocence project where we would try to get innocent people out of prison based on like dna and other exonerating evidence my soul was completely fulfilled at that point but then i had to make money to put my husband through school so i like sold my soul to the highest bidder oh dear it was fun sometimes. I think I mentioned I once settled a lawsuit for a piece of fruit. (laughs) Somebody tripped and fell on something in a parking lot. And nobody knew what the person tripped and fell on, but the attorney didn't care. He decided to sue every single company that was in this little shopping mall, like every store. And then he sued my client, who was like a street sweeper, who just swept the parking lot maybe once a year, like when he was hired. And he's like, I hadn't been on that property in years, but I once swept it. And they're like, well, maybe you should have swept it that night. And he's like, I only do it when I get hired. So this attorney sues everyone. He's like, I'll let you guys figure out who screwed up. My client is injured. I don't give a shit. And so my adjuster was like, we'll go to mediation with you and all these 10 other companies that have a million dollars, but you have no money. Make them settle for zero dollars. And I'm like, are you kidding me? This is like a bloodthirsty attorney. You can't make somebody take zero dollars. Like it doesn't happen. So I didn't know what to do because I really was so overworked. I didn't want this case anymore. And so we went into mediation where they put you in a one room, every attorney, every company that was at this strip mall and they brought us all in and they just started shaking us down. So like a Mormon marriage counselor. (laughs) It was like a situation where I knew I was going in with no money, but I really wanted to get out of the lawsuit and I was hoping to appeal to the guy's sense of humor. So I came with a pineapple wrapped in ribbons that said, attorney so-and-so. I am so sorry. I am an underpaid and overworked attorney for this giant insurance company. And my adjuster is not letting me settle this for one penny. Could you please, please, please have some like pity on me and just take this one ripe pineapple in exchange for a full release and dismissal of my client. And I was practicing in Texas at the time. And the attorney was like, so well known in his small town that once a year he would give out Christmas presents to everybody in the town, like bicycles and microwaves and his name was all over the place. So he never, ever lost. Everybody always knew him. But he had such a good sense of humor. Like he came in and he gave me a hard time. He's like, darling, are you telling me you ain't got any money for me? And I'm like, I have nothing. I'm so sorry. He thought it was funny enough that he actually gave me a release and dismissal in writing, like in exchange for one ripe pineapple. (laughs) 
Now the client got money from everybody else <laughs> for their injuries, except I was the only one that had nothing. And so I was just like, please take another lawsuit off of my desk because the minute this one's gone, I've got like 50 more cases I had to work on. He threw you a bone or a pineapple. Well, no, she threw him the pineapple. Fruit will do amazing things if you have a sense of humor. Uh, I love fruit, Gigi. I eat fruit every day. I've had lawsuits where people slipped on banana peels. I've had so many fruit-related injuries over the course of my years as an attorney that it's almost embarrassing. So when I stopped practicing law, I think it was more of like, well, that joke is over. I think what you liked about being a lawyer is when you got to do creative things like that. You got the pineapple, you put a card on it, you probably even decorated it or something, I don't know. Oh, I wrapped it in ribbons. And that bit of creativity made the rest of the job worthwhile. Yeah, except the only problem is nobody else appreciates it. Judges don't let you get away with that stuff in front of a jury. (sighs) Very much letter of the law, I would imagine. Yeah. Texas was a lot more funny than California. California because nobody really pays attention to the rules. Every judge is his own god. I wouldn't want to live in Texas, though. No. But it was a fun place to practice law. That's Gigi's rant. So let's go on to patience. You had some points you wanted to go over? Oh, I've got a lot of points. Let's start. (laughs) Apparently, someone did a transcription. Mm, Yeah, somebody did a transcription like the week it happened. Yeah. Yeah, they were right on it. And they said that this was a rescue and that the church has done other little rescues as well. Whenever there's a problem, they have like a team come out and then they fix it. He's like a fixer, Brad the fixer. This was supposed to address youth leaving the church and stuff like that. This was up in Alpine, Utah, which is where all the filthy rich Mormons They really want to hang on to those Mormons. Of course. 10% of that. Although, honestly, they've got more money than God at this point, so they don't really need it. But also the influence and the prestige of having these rich people that are going to be running companies and stuff like that. So they really pull hard for rich white folks. (laughs) So... Uh. I bet they pull hard. That's all they've got left to do. Oh, no, indeed. So (laughs) he wants to convince the teens in the audience that, you know, when you're doing it right, being Mormon is fun and cool and it's living your best life, fulfilling and all of that. So naturally, he started off with a piano solo and a hymn. Way to go, Brad. That probably wasn't his decision. As with pretty much any Mormon meeting, it starts out with a prayer. You know, you have somebody conducting it, so it was probably the stake president. It was just following the formula. They actually had a woman conducting. Well, they had a woman, I think, give the prayer or something in the beginning. There was a girl that did that. And conducting the music. Yeah, no, when I said conducting, I meant like the MC, the master of ceremonies. I still think it might have been her, though, because she introduced him. Oh, yeah? And Brad thanked her for conducting. Because, yeah, in Mormon parlance, that's what conducting is. Well, thank you, Brad, for being so progressive. (laughs) Like I said, Brad probably had nothing to do with it. No. It was probably completely set up by the stake presidency. I don't think anyone had anything to do with any of that, to be honest. They all just seemed like they were sitting there behind their masks and they didn't know what they were doing. Mm Mm-hmm. All right, so I had a question for you guys. Did you have fun youth leaders when you were young and in church fun leaders like brad oh well (laughs) leaders like brad sure fun no (laughs) did you have leaders that thought they were fun like Brad. If you were a certain type of kid, you thought they were fucking awesome. But I disliked 
pretty much all of my leaders. They were jockey, outdoorsy, hunter, macho guys. And that was just not me. I hated being a youth at the church. I remember we had a few different seminary teachers and there was like one that was kind of cool and she taught like the seniors. And then I remember like my teacher in the junior year was like a guy that got caught cheating on his wife and he had seven kids and they found like some strange person's panties in the glove box of like their giant van because they had like so many kids. We called them Mormon troop carriers because (laughs) we're talking the ones that seat like... Like the 12 passenger big ass fans, like a shuttle van. Yeah, we called them Mormon battle wagons in Arizona. (laughs) I just remember thinking, oh God, who would have sex with this disgusting old man? (laughs) And he's having an affair and then he's got seven kids and it was like all kinds of mess. I remember the scandals more than anything. I remember some of the Mormons that got like arrested for felonies during the 2008 mortgage crisis because they were like refinancing without anybody's permission. They were just signing. But I didn't really have any Mormon I identified with. I think because from such a young age, I would question the things they believed and I'd be like, God, how do you believe that? Like I'm only in seventh grade and I don't buy that shit. (laughs) So I was kind of more cynical, I think, than a lot of people. I don't think the brainwashing ever really took with me. That's wonderful. But at the same time as being wonderful, there must have been a flip side to that that felt very alienating. Oh my God, it was horrible because I was surrounded by all these perfect Mormon girls who did everything right and they had like blonde hair. I mean, they weren't masturbating. Bullshit. Uh, sure they were. Bullshit. <laughs> right. But see, that's the thing. It's like, so they weren't doing anything. They were too perfect for any of that. But I mean, they were all basically living in their own boxes. They were in their own boxes all the time. They just weren't admitting it. (laughs) Oh my. (laughs) But so I did feel very like I didn't belong. That's why I want to slap his face so hard. (laughs) Well, that and his shit-eating grin. It's like he's a robot that looked at pictures of people smiling to figure out... (laughs) How to smile, but he must have been looking at like cartoons or something because Brad's smile is just as it's just this face. It's a self-righteous smarminess when mm-hmm. you know that you're talking to a bunch of people that already believe. He's got a captive audience. He already knows they just love him. Or they have to pretend. It must be so self-affirming to be a man in the Mormon church because you've got a captive audience for whenever you want to have your own little podcast. If, if, <laughs> I mean, it's all set up for you. I mean, and I wonder what that must feel like because when I was a girl, like we were in one room learning things and the boys were learning something different in another So that's where they learned about all of their priesthood powers and how someday that they can just lay hands on people and solve their cancer, which is another thing. Like, I don't know what they're teaching young boys in these rooms that's healthy. They're teaching that they have a wand that has a lot of power, Gigi. Mm Mm-hmm, but they can't touch it. That's right. You can't touch this. When he said that, it's not more people leaving us than before. It just seems like there's more because now they're leaving on TikTok. He started off that whole section with a newspaper article where he actually quoted statistics about how many are religious in this age group, that sort of thing. And then he goes on to make his claims without using any statistics of anything. He just says, ah, this is how it is. He's like a salesperson. You know, the best way to sell something, you don't give him facts. Feelings, not facts. That's right. Facts don't sell things. And it's the same with religion. They think that by building more temples, it shows 
that they're a big, big church, but they'll never tell you the numbers. Like how many people throughout Africa got baptized without ever learning anything about the church? Because they just knew that this was an American church that sometimes had like classes on English as a second language. And they got baptized without knowing any of the doctrine and how many of those people actually left later. You know, they don't give you these statistics. That would just not look good. You know, they're not going to tell you how many people were born in the church and baptized in the church that are now inactive. And they've always said this since I was a child, we're the fastest growing church in the world. But there's no documentation to support that. All of America is becoming less and less religious by the year. Thank God. I thank all the gods. Thank all the gods and none of them, but yeah. (laughs) He's like, it doesn't bother me that we have fewer people sitting in the pews. What bothers me is that we have the church and fewer people. (laughs) And they're going to face the struggles of life without God and all of the church behind them. And I'm like, you know what? When push comes to shove and you're in a really hard place, the church isn't always there for you. Now let's talk about FSY and EFY, which seems like this whole speech was trying to convince these teens to go to this silly conference. What does that stand for, Jones? EFY is especially for youth and FSY is fucking silly. For the sake of youth. Oh, that's it. For the sake of youth. For Christ's sake, y'all. That's what it stands for. There you go. (laughs) So he's saying, look, your older brothers and sisters paid $450 to attend EFY. Now you get to attend the same sort of dealio that is calling it FSY for $75. And the reason they can do this is that the church is subsidizing so much of this experience. Even the words he uses, he sounds like Steve Jobs. No, 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 no. The church is not subsidizing it. The tithe payers who give 10% of their income towards the church, they are paying for it. And then they're asking you for $75 on top of that if you've got a kid. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's just like when there's a a national or natural disaster. The Mormon church, like, hey, look at all this money we're donating. They're not donating a goddamn motherfucking thing. Yeah, they don't take that money out of the general fund. No, they take the money from the people that have paid, generally from the fast offerings pool of money, which although nowadays, if you look at a tithe slip, it says the church can use whatever money you're giving for whatever they see best for the building up of the kingdom. This is how it was when I was a child. What happens when there's a natural disaster They would ask all the members, we are going to like arrange for a semi-truck. Can you start bringing us diapers, bring us blankets, bring us food? They don't go and buy these things. They ask the members to go and buy those things and donate those things. And then they take them down, which is a wonderful thing for people to do. There are good people in the church that want to help. God bless them. But here's the thing. They don't necessarily take that money that they've been sitting on, that 15 bazillion dollars, and open up homeless shelters. Which there's a huge homeless population population here in Salt Lake. They take that money and they open up a strip mall in Salt Lake City. They open up more buildings for them to do rights for dead people, which doesn't feed one fucking person. So when people are going hungry in a town, they ask the members to donate food. For instance, like if you are widowed, which has happened in my family, they don't necessarily start paying your rent. The sisters in the ward make food for you for a while. And then they ask you to go look to your family for help. 
Even if you've been paying 10% of your money for the last 30 years with the belief that if something happens to you, the church will take care of you. When Brad Wilcox says, you have nothing if you don't have the church, you know, the church is everything. No, not necessarily because they're not going to be there when you really fall in a hard time. And they're going to ask for 10% of your money on your deathbed. And they're going to want $75 on top of that for all the children that they send to their fancy little programs. Oh, and they're getting it at a discount now. So it used to be 450 Now it's only $75. And I guess the reason they have to do that that is because no one would turn up otherwise. Hey, I paid for my eldest to go to one of those. How much was it? 500 and something, if I recall wow. correctly. And what sort of activities did they do? It's basically a Mormon Bible camp. You go to lessons and firesides and yay, rah, rah meetings. And then, <laughs> it's like a jamboree. Yeah, and then you'd go to a dance in the evening. The number one pull for a young person to go to one of these things is because you're going to meet the opposite sex. That's what I figured. In a very large <laughs> group is not just from your town. A different gene pool. <laughs> it's a different dating pool. Can I read you what he said about it? Because I just think it's so telling. He says, you're going to have a blast. You're going to have fun times. You're going to dance together. You're going to play games together out on the field. Wow, they're just going to be running across green fields. <laughs> I think I remember soccer. Yeah, outdoor activities of some sort. Right. What are the girls going to be doing while that's happening? I bet they don't let them play soccer. That's a good question. They'd look too attractive to the boys if they were playing soccer. Right, yeah. They would put unclean <laughs> thoughts into the boys' heads. Uh, it's probably something like cooking or clothing repair or something like that. Oh, that is such horse shit. And then it says, you're going to have a big talent show. I've been to one of those talent shows that Paul's ward was doing. It was pretty fun. Actually, I met people with the best sense of humor in the church. The people with the best sense of humor in the church, though, usually didn't stay. Like those were the people. <laughs> that the people with the biggest imaginations; those were the ones that eventually would leave. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> so he says, FSY conferences include activities, devotionals, and classes designed to help strengthen faith in Jesus Christ and provide opportunities for youth to grow spiritually, socially, physically, and intellectually. Now, here's my question. Physically? What the fuck is he talking about? Is he going to put them through an exercise regime that's going to help them get fit in like five days? I suspect they're going to have something talking about the word of wisdom and they'll testify about the word of wisdom. If you follow the word of wisdom, it will help you physically. I stopped drinking coffee and now I can calculate pi to the 20th place or some horseshit. Because he says intellectually as well. How do you grow intellectually in five days? Well, you know, priesthood holders do have the laying on of hands power. I don't know why they don't just make everybody smarter with less <laughs> problems. Well, patience, it goes back to what you were just saying about sales. He's not saying anything that's real or true. It's a sales pitch. He's laying out a spiel a bunch of nice sounding buzzwords that you'll be like, ooh, this is going to make me grow as a person. And it's not actually going to do anything. What it is going to do is to inoculate the younger generations against the stuff that's coming out about the church that they can't hide anymore because of the internet. They will give them just a little taste of the truth, not the whole truth, not anything approaching the whole truth, but they'll mention in passing that yes, Joseph Smith had a few wives and they'll mention in passing something 
something about seer stones. They may not even say how Joseph used his seer stone, but they'll say something about it. So that way, when the youth encounter that in real life, they'll go, oh yeah, I've heard about that. It's fine. They talk about it at church and they won't listen to anything. I was talking to my eldest. They had the booklet from EFY and it had all the guidelines and rules for the dances. And here's the thing that has always been really creepy. The boys are expected to go and ask the girls to dance. The girls are told that if a boy asks them to dance, they must say yes. Because they say, the boy is so brave coming up to you and presenting his vulnerabilities and taking the step to ask him, and you must say yes so that he is not hurt. Even if you don't like him. Weird. <laughs> you want to be nice. Yeah, you want to be nice, and so you have to say yes. Pump up his ego so that he can try it again one day. Yeah, exactly. So what kind of message is that teaching either our boys or our girls? Because it's teaching the boys that when you ask, that girl better say yes. It's teaching the girls that you don't really have a say in it. Consent? What the fuck's that? Consent is just, we don't even know what that word is. Does it start with a K? I don't know. It's a subconscious way to train girls to be submissive. And it's only one thing. You may not think it's a big thing. I think it's a huge thing. It says volumes because you know what? It's bad for the boys too because they're getting wins that are too easy. It shouldn't be that easy to ask a girl out. It's supposed to be scary. As the weird boy that everybody said no to, <laughs> I'm going to tell you that it was really hard. All right. So after his little spiel about that, he's talking about, oh, and Jackson is going to be performing. So that's going to be one of the, I guess, counselors. Oh, he was the guy that plays the piano. Right. Did they actually say Jackson? Jackson was going to be there at the FSY? Yeah, he says, Jackson is going to be performing and all the women are going to love him. He actually says that. But God forbid if Jackson is gay because the women might love him. But and chances are he is. <laughs> He's just saying, oh, you women are going to love him. He's just telling them how it is. But I bet women wouldn't really be interested in him. It's gaslighting, really, isn't it? The church is very good at gaslighting. He's just... Constantly giving them the message, this is what you like, you like this, you like it, you like it, you like it. He says, now sadly you live in a time where a lot of people get uptight about priesthood issues. I'm like, okay, that's one way to say it. But if you want to call me uptight because I'm questioning your racism, then yeah, I am an anti-racist uptight bitch. <laughs> and he says, it's one of the most glorious things we have in the church, and yet people want to sit and fight about it and get uptight about it. Now, I don't mean to oversimplify a complex issue. And then he oversimplifies And then exactly what he does, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't mean to do what I'm about to do right now. But I sure think we make it a little harder than it needs to be. And he says, how come the blacks didn't get the priesthood until 1978? What's up with that, Brother Wilcox? What, was Brigham Young a jerk? Members of the church are prejudiced? Yes. Maybe we're asking the wrong question. Maybe instead of saying, why did the blacks have to wait until 1978? Maybe what we should be asking is, why did the whites and other races have to wait until 1829? 1,829 years they waited. Every issue that there is about the complex nature of the church's position on blacks and minorities, he just glosses over and basically tells, oh, you might hear some complaints and bitchiness and people being uptight about this issue. Not to worry. 
We can just reframe the question and gloss over it and never address the underlying issue. He's trying to divert the attention. He's pushed it out of his own mind and he wants everyone else to push it out of their mind too. Because it creates cognitive dissonance. How can a church that's supposed to love everyone and promote such goodness have such a racist history and then never address it? Because it's a human institution and that's a human thing to do. A very lizard brain backwards us v them thing to do. They have no desire to get past that. Yeah. I mean, I'm very grateful this issue has been talked about a lot because it's brought it out to the open. But for anybody that's listening that didn't, that's what pissed everybody off. <laughs> His sermon followed the word gospel as an acronym. And this was in the P section. So G-O-S-P. P. Instead of P standing for priesthood, I think P stands for penis. He was trying to say, oh, women have the power of the priesthood too. They have influence in the church. Don't think that they don't have influence. You know, they have just as much influence as men. But then he just completely ignores the fact that all major leadership positions in the church can only be held by men. It was so patronizing. So really he's trying to say penis wins, but not really. But it does. But it doesn't. But it doesn't have more power, but it does. And then he tries to say, oh, women have more power. Like when they go to the temple, they don't need to have a penis to go and get some of these priesthood things that just come naturally to them. It's like they naturally have the priesthood. How does that happen? They're just magical. Let's talk about that for a second. When a woman goes into the temple, who pulls her through the veil? The man. So can she get to heaven without the man? Nope. So what happens to all those single ladies out there that can't find a man? Can they get into heaven? They'll get assigned a man. They get assigned a man. randomly they'll get assigned a nice gay guy that also didn't hook up on earth so (laughs) he talks about joseph smith and he uses this really silly argument to prove that obviously joseph mustn't have been lying he was telling the truth he uses the same argument that they use for jesus and in fact you could use the same argument for any cult leader or religious leader or political leader or anyone that just lies their ass off to do anything. A salesperson, because it doesn't require any proof. This is the part of the G for Godhead where he's saying, if Joseph Smith was really lying, wouldn't he have made a better lie? Right, yeah. This is the worst argument in the world. What he's saying is, the Book of Mormon is true because the Book of Mormon says it's true. Like circular logic or something? I don't know. Circular logic. I think it's not even that. It's just... There's no logic there. (laughs) I tell you what it is, though. It's very simple. It presents two things. He's either this or this. And that's what salespeople like. They want to give you something simple. The facts don't matter as long as it's simple and it's an obvious choice about where you should go and that it makes them sound reasonable. His tone is just so smooth and reasonable. If he was any more smooth, his metabolism would slow down and he'd become three times the size that he already is. He's such a fat fuck. As a fat fuck, I could take offense, (laughs) but I choose not to. I found it odd that he focused on how our Mormonism have this amazing thing where we think that the Father and Jesus are two separate people. I haven't met either one, so it doesn't really make any difference to me. And that 
This revelation to Joseph Smith is sometimes all that is required when missionaries talk to people, give them this revelation and everything just falls into place. When I was in Protestant Trinitarian churches, there were lots of people that had that idea. They just don't really talk about it. Well, and again, his whole point in saying, well, Joseph Smith obviously wasn't lying because he would have come up with a better lie that agreed with what everybody was saying at the time, which... As Mormons, we are taught to think that absolutely every Christian ever, but especially back then, thought that God was just the three-in-one combo. As Mormons, that's what they tell you, that every other Christian church thinks this. We're the only church who has ever, in the history of Christianity, thought that there are three separate beings. Which is bullshit. <laughs> Which is a good segue into his O stands for Only True Church. I didn't have anything to say about Only True Church because that's what every religion thinks. Yeah, it really is. It's just not interesting. Okay, cool, Brad, whatever. Although I have to say, I actually go to a church every Sunday for atheists. It's the Unitarian. Because I just moved to this town and I wanted to get to know some people. I love it. We have lectures. We talk about all the religions equally. Like everybody, everything. It's kind of fun. There is no, we're the only way. It's like, hey, this is a community that really believes in social justice. Let's show you where the Rose Garden is so you can work on that while we talk about gay rights. <laughs> What's the most interesting thing you've heard at your Unitarian church? The thing I love the most, they'll read poetry by Rumi or they'll read things by Joseph Campbell. They're going into literary theory. They don't limit themselves there's very little God and a lot more community and social justice. I've only been in this town for a little while. I've only been there for a few weeks. And the only reason I started going was because the first thing that they wrote on their website is, we welcome atheists, agnostics, everyone, LGBTQ. They have rainbow flags flying everywhere. And I'm like, if I want to get involved in society, like it's hard to you know move into a new town and just figure out what to do and where all the community activities are. And I'm very interested in being in involved in my community, being involved in social justice in my community, and knowing where the homeless shelters are and what are we doing to help the people here where I live. So of course I was looking for a group to join and it was like the perfect place because they teach everything. They talk about humanity and what it is to be human. Is universalism basically just a humanistic church? It is. I mean, basically. But they do look at all the major texts. There's something to be learned from every culture. Being a human is hard. All of us are going to face some deep, serious, horrible shit. And if you don't have a community of people that love you around you, it is going to be difficult. And what Brad Wilcox is saying is that the only place you can get that is by joining their cult and paying 10% of all your money. Well, I go to an atheist church and I drop a few bucks into the plate and they give me free coffee and we all have a fun time talking. I met the mayor the other day. I met the guy that runs the Santa Paula Art Museum. He gave me free tickets to go to the art museum. We're talking about art and literature and not dogma. And that's a lot more fulfilling for my soul than I ever experienced in the Mormon church and their dogma. Nobody's telling me I have to believe in one God or two gods or three gods. They tell me to believe in whatever the fuck I want and have sex with whoever I want, however I want, on any day of the week that I want. That's not what they tell you in the Mormon church. <laughs> Upside down, sideways, and every other way. All right, so after I for only church in gospel, you get S, which stands for Holy Spirit, or as I would like to say, it stands for Silly Spirit and his explanation that's just silly. Basically, he equates emotions with feeling the Spirit, and he says that all sorts of people can feel the Spirit. It's not just Mormons. It's just that Mormons are the only ones that have the Holy Spirit, which means they have the Spirit all the time. And then he says, oh, 
but brother Brad, I've never felt the Spirit. It's like, well, that's just because you don't know what it's like to be without the Spirit. You know it when you don't have it. But sometimes when you have it all the time, you just don't know. He's got an answer for everything that has absolutely no data behind it, no facts, no anything. Or psychology. Whatever you come at him, he's right. His entire reasoning on this one doesn't even make any sense because after that, he then goes on to say, you wouldn't want to feel the Spirit all the time because it's so intense. It's so overwhelming. If I were to feel the Spirit all the time, I'd be going, oh, all day. <laughs> Almost like he's running around with a constant erection or something. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's not how the Spirit works, I don't think. So he just went from saying that the reason you don't notice that you're feeling the Spirit is because you're surrounded by the Spirit all the time. And it immediately goes into saying, but feeling the Spirit is so goddamn overwhelming. Be glad you don't feel it all the time. Yeah, because it would burn out your synapses. So which one is it, Brad? Is it you don't notice it until it's gone? Or is it giant boner all the time, 24-7? <laughs> Make up your fucking mind, Brad. So let me ask you, Jones, you didn't feel the Spirit? I never felt the Spirit in church, in the temple. I have never felt the Spirit. And did I pray enough? Or did I read enough scriptures? No, apparently not. <laughs> Good. I grew up being told that I wasn't trying hard enough. And that's why I didn't feel the Spirit. Now, let me ask you this. Have you ever felt the Spirit somewhere else? Watching the Kevin Smith film, Dog. Oh, I love that movie. <laughs> I love that movie when Chris Rock says, we should just have ideas instead of like, beliefs. Watching Orgasmo. Oh, I still haven't seen that. By who did South Park. I felt the spirit. I have felt the spirit more outside of the church. And in psychology, we call that elevated emotions. Yeah, it's emotions. Right. All it is is your hormones and your chemical balance having a little shift and your nerves feeling a little bit of a jolt. And that can happen anywhere. In science, they have shown that they can manufacture that easily. And the sad thing is, is if you've ever gone to church every Sunday for three hours for like a large portion of your life, it is so fucking tedious. I don't think anybody hardly feels the spirit when they've got seven children that they're running after and trying to clean up the Cheerios off the floor of the church building. You don't feel the spirit when you're popping out babies all the time and you're living poor because you're giving 10% of your money away. And then you're spending not just three hours a Sunday, but more than that to get everybody ready to go and then coming and going. It's your whole damn day. The Mormons don't know what they're missing because this religion is keeping them so busy and brainwashed that they don't have time to go to the symphony and they don't have money to go to the opera. So they don't know what elevated emotions they can feel when they get out of their bubble. Not only that, they have hijacked elevated emotion and said that feeling is the spirit. Yeah, they've claimed it for their own. But I never felt that in church. I only felt it in places outside of the church. And I recognized it as just enjoying something about something. I never thought it was the spirit, despite what they told me. <laughs> What's interesting, though, is often when I talk to ex-Mormons on this show, I've spoken to a lot of them, like you people. You ask them, oh, is your life better now that you've left the religion? And they always say, oh, it's loads better. I mean, I'm sure there's some that have life that isn't better, but that's just because the variability in life. It's got nothing to do with the church. Yeah, my life has gone all kinds of crazy shit, you know, since leaving the church because I grew older and people die around you or you have to like work a job you don't like. You know, you pay rent now. Yeah, life is complex. 
But on the whole, people's lives do seem to be better. So if they just ask these people, how can it be then that the Holy Spirit is making their lives so awesome when they're in the church and then when they walk away, their life improves even more? Like, how does that work? Anyway, this is what I like to say to Brad. If your life is the life, why does it feel so good to die today? (laughs) All right, so we've already done P, which stands for penis, I mean priesthood. And then he goes on to E which stands for everyone, because they can offer the opportunity for everyone past, present and future throughout history to have what I'd like to call OCD time travel baptisms, where they get very (laughs) OCD about making sure they cross off every person through history and get them all baptized. At least once. This baffles me so much in a way that my logical brain goes nuts over. Is your God all powerful? Why does he need these baptisms for the dead to include everyone, force all the living people to spend all their weekends doing baptisms for the dead, which is a waste of fucking time, and all the money that they spend building the churches, and then still you're not going to get to everybody. So, like, come on, if you've got such a great God, I'm sorry, I want a different God. I want a God that gives me my Saturdays and Sundays back. I want a God that doesn't take all my money. I want a God that's more powerful than needing OCD time travel baptisms to fix things. Surely (laughs) he's got a better way of doing it if he's that powerful. Well, Mormons have an explanation for that. God wants us to be able to have the blessings as well. Because yeah, sure, he could all do it, but he wants you to have the blessings of spending another three and a half fucking hours in a building being bored off your ass. (laughs) Couldn't he just as equally say, you know what, take 10% of your money and your paycheck and go find a good use for it yourself. Go find somebody to help. Go find a hooker. (laughs) (laughs) They need money. That's an occupation. Like, hey. Sex work is work. It's completely valid. Hey, if I had my life over, I'd get into it. (laughs) So if the church is for everyone, well, not exactly if you're black before 1978. I mean, let's face it. Or if you're gay since forever. Or if you're a single woman that didn't marry somebody on the planet. I mean, we'll have to go through some rigmarole to get you into the highest heaven. It's not for everyone it's for people mostly white people in america utah white cisgendered americans yeah and i think that anybody else in another country that's been baptized has been hoodwinked or they're doing it for other reasons or they don't understand the dogma or they think that this is just a nice church to go to because there's other people that they like there. Someone there that they wanted to bang. It's like, oh, I'll go along. <laughs> or they couldn't get married without being Mormon to the person that they loved. Mm. And so they decided to pretend. I know what that's like. It's <laughs> <laughs> the story of your life, isn't it, Jane? But it has a happy ending. Yeah, it worked out. In lots of ways. <laughs> it worked out. Yeah. So yeah, I don't think it stands for everyone. No. It stands for exclusionary. Exclusionary. Here's what's weird about that, though, too. Every Christian sect has a story to explain why the people that haven't heard about Christ, why that's okay. They have explanations. They aren't all good explanations. They're pretty shit explanations, usually. They're all shit explanations. (laughs) The Mormon's explanation's shit. Everyone's explanation is shit because it doesn't make sense. If Jesus was really so awesome, he should hop in his DeLorean, go back in time, and decide not to torture humans in the first place because he's much better than that. living prophets are they really living because their faces look like beef jerky they're so old and decrepit i don't know that they're living i'm not quite convinced do you guys know how prophecy and revelation is done in church it is done by committee 
And it is done by surveys that are emailed to the church members and they fill it out. And then they take the results of those surveys and they discuss it in committee, being the form of the 12 apostles and the first presidency. What has to happen for something to be released as a revelation is that everybody in attendance has to agree. So once they've reached a majority, if not everybody in the quorum agrees, they still have to basically sign on to it and sell it to the Mormon people. So it's basically a majority rules committee. I thought that the prophet locked himself into the tip-top tower of the temple under the Moroni statue and made a few prayers and like God struck him with revelation. Well, there is a room in the Salt Lake Temple called the Holy of Holies, which is where the prophet supposedly goes to do that. That's where he jerks off, I'm sure. Doesn't he also talk to the three living Nephites that are still alive from when Jesus came and visited? No, we don't talk about those three Nephites. They only show up to help change your tire on the side of the road. Yeah, that's more mythology than dogma. Oh, is it? Well, no, because it's in the goddamn Book of Mormon. The three Nephites are in there. I can't wait till we get to that bit. That's going to rock my world. (laughs) (laughs) Russell M. Nelson looks like he's been wheeled out weekend at Bernie style now for a while, hey? Mm -hmm. Thank you, patience. (laughs) It's exactly the best analogy I've heard. Well, that inevitably is what happens. The president of church before Russell M. Nelson was Monson, and he was well into dementia the last year or two. I mean, it was a fairly well-known secret that he was not there. Same sort of thing happened with the guy before him, Hinckley. These white men that are leading the church are so fucking old that inevitably they descend into madness or dementia. It's really sad, actually, isn't it? They're not running the church. It's the committee running the church. This is how brainwashed Brad Wilcox is. Because one of the things that he says in this little sermon that he's giving, he's like, you want to walk away from the church? Well, say goodbye to living prophets. Say goodbye. And I'm like, these guys don't really do any real good for anyone And you basically revere them like gods. They talk more about the prophet than Jesus Christ himself. Yes, they do. Recently, I saw a video of Bednar, who's one of the 12 apostles, saying, we don't teach that you should follow the prophets without thinking. We don't worship the prophet. Oh, that's right. And he's got a bust of the prophet sitting on his desk behind him. Right. It was a TikTok or something like that because it was immediately followed by videos of people in conference saying, follow the prophet. And once the prophet says something, thinking is done. And the primary song of children singing, follow the prophet, follow the prophet, follow the prophet. He knows way. The Mormons are taught to worship the prophet. <laughs> this old geriatric fuck who more often than not has already lost all his marbles. And we are taught to revere this person. Yeah. I didn't feel like I lost some group of old men looking after me with all the truth in the world. They're not running around spewing prophecy that comes true. They're not giving me winning lottery numbers. When the pandemic hit, the prophet told everybody to fast and pray. And then he told them to do it again. Brad didn't listen though, did he? Brad's always been a healthy lad. What really helped is the scientists who had been working on mRNA vaccines forever. Or Yeah, when people say God saved his life, and meanwhile it was the fucking doctor who went to eight years of medical school and spent a huge amount of money learning how to fix things, and they're fucking just disregarding what he did. So he's tried to use good things to try and keep people in. Now his closing bit is really getting down to your emotions and a very primal fear, which is the lowest common denominator like I've said before. So leaving church is apparently leaving the light or easy blessings that you have in life. 
So I guess he's saying that all that's left would be hardship. But as we know, that's just not how it is. There's hardship in both places. So (laughs) he loves to talk just like your ex-boyfriend does. Only he's found himself in a cult where most of the time only the men talk and the women pretend it's funny. And so he's feeling pretty rewarded right now. (laughs) He's like the host of a podcast that people actually listen to, you know, (laughs) not like ours. (laughs) Thank you if you're listening. I know there are some people that are listening. But I don't think he's evil. I think he's just a product of where he grew up. There's no logic to his belief. And he doesn't try and use logic to convince others. He's just pure emotion like so many people. And people that are pure emotion aren't all evil. They're just people. And it's just how they are. How do you solve a problem like Brad Wilcox? How do you solve a problem like... You divorce him. You divorce him. (laughs) (laughs) That's all I write. You'd want to just punch him in the face, but... Right. Maybe I can make an app for that so that we can get that aggression out in a proper way. Brad Wilcox punching bags. Take your aggression on this smarmy fuck. Clap. I wonder if his wife has ever slapped that face off. No, she defends to the end. She got onto every social media. She was like, you guys are misunderstanding him. He's a wonderful man and a great priesthood holder and blah, blah, blah. Fuck you. Yeah, she was doing her good Mormonly wife duties and defending her man. He looks like he's kind of bored with her. He's bored with her. Anyway, thanks for doing the roast. See you later, everyone.